Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It's Wednesday, July 20th, 2022. You're listening to episode number 556. I am your host, Steve Say, and joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer. It is too gosh darn hot. How hot is it? I don't know, 90 with a 90% humidity? How's that? Gross. Yeah. Uh, Aaron, what's going on? I live on a swamp, so that's my everyday. Do you really? Yes. Yeah. Washington, I live in DC. DC is a swamp. Literally. Listen, geography is not my <laughs> my strong suit, all right? Um, but what is my strong suit that doesn't make any sense is John Burkle. <laughs> oh, 90 is nothing here. We, we were, we're like over 100 next week. Oof. Did you, see, you, did you it, see Portugal was 117 yesterday? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's no global warming. No, it's nope. all fine. Yeah, it's no, all fine. Bob, no, no. Texas is about to shut their power down again. Good for Texas. <laughs> John, yes, John. If 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 all went to hell and push came to shove, in an apocalyptic scenario, would you allow me to strap you to the front of my body to run into battle? Uh-huh. Would you protect me? Um, I would rather say, why don't you make your way south and we can hole up at the family compound and uh, we'll just ride it out there. Underneath, underneath the Waffle House? Yeah, why not? No, we'll go to the farm. We'll start raising some, some animals and we'll live off the land. It'll be good. It'll be good for you, Steve. It'll, it'll clear up some of your, <laughs> your health issues. Yeah, speaking of health issues... Let's 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 get into it. I want to go around the table for a minute and uh, ask a question. So let's go with Bob first. Bob, when is the last time that you had a good fall? Does this count me breaking my foot a month ago? Sure. Or does it count something? I think that qualifies. Yeah, I walked into the end of the coffee table and it was ow that hurt. Uh, It was fine. I went to work. I didn't break the skin. Didn't do anything wrong at all. Went to work, came home, podcast, and took my shoe off. It was my foot was Technicolor. Oh, yeah. So it was oh in a, it was in a soft cast for a month. Um, so that that was that was what it was doing. Um, that followed having back in the in the winter, my leg gave out and I fell in front of the public library and sort of scraped my hand, took some skin off, and was like, oh, hit my elbow, no problem. Until two weeks ago, where I have a giant growth on my right elbow that the uh, dermatologist says isn't isn't her field, that the um, GP, who's also an osteopath, is saying, I just think that's a real extreme case of bursitis. 
that you messed something okay. up and your bones are all in place. Well, that's that's good to hear. Um, uh, so here's some pills, but you can't take them too much because otherwise they'll shut down your kidneys and liver. And particularly that you're taking aspirin for your heart, you know, you could just like bleed out. So we, we can't aspirate it because you could get infected and die. Oh, thank you. All right. All right. Okay. I was just trying to go right. around the room. Okay. Here. But, but here's the thing. I got a piece of mail today that is my uh, health note confidential summary. And one of the things it says is preventing falls. Many things can cause falls as you age, including balance <laughs> problems and slippery areas in the home and other places. That's okay. And that's cholesterol control. I love this one. Advanced directive in bold letters. Um, you can write an advanced directive or a living will. Wait a minute. What about my health? You're, you're, you've got me dying already. <laughs> to write a living will? You send me this in the mail? <laughs> you're just a vegetable. You're a vegetable. Uh, uh, really? I mean, that's what I got today when I came home from work. Thank you, Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield. Anyway, I'm Any sorry. Aaron, go. Aaron. Any other questions, Steve? Quickly, when's the last time you fell? When's the last fall. time that you fell? I don't fall. I have perfect balance. Okay. Okay, fine. Don't don't <laughs> play my game. Make me a fool. Uh, John, when's the last time that you fell? December 30th, 2021. I went out for a run and I slipped on the ice. And Ooh. that's when I went home and I felt okay. And then by the evening, my back had swollen up. And I went to urgent care, and urgent care sent me to the ER. They thought I had split my kidney and my spleen. Ooh, it just ooh. ended up being just a giant hematoma that just went away like a couple weeks ago. Wow. So, yeah, I remember it vividly because I spent uh, New Year's Eve in bed with a giant like, ice pack. Yeah. Didn't I guess te- I texted you from the ER? Yes, you did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I, I remember that. Loopy and I was like, I better tell the guys that. I might not be there in a couple of days. I ever told you how much I love you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen. Um, so Friday night, I did not go to the second night of Rock the Park to see Aqua and TLC. But what I did do Saturday was try to step over an exercise ball, <laughs> a giant inflated exercise ball. I don't know how it happened, but I somehow stepped over it, which was the plan. And in order to clear the whole thing, I had to do a little hop. So I'm like throwing my leg over. I'm getting ready to go. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I got my my French's ketchup bottle in one hand and nothing but nothing but not a care in the world in the other. And I go to leap over this damn ball. My other foot nudges the ball. Oops. My heel goes out not the way it came in but the opposite direction clearing my other foot from the floor so there's absolutely nothing of me on the ground anymore i went completely and totally sideways off of of (laughs) this exercise ball and i came down on our kitchen floor so hard I'm shocked that I did not break anything, let alone my arm, because that's what I landed on. Bronwyn was freaking out from the basement. She's like, what was that? And I said, that was me. (laughs) And I laid on the ground for several minutes, um, then had to lay across the couch 
with like ice ice pack strategically placed on my arm and hip and all of the things. Um, needless to say, it took me out of commission quite a bit. I still don't feel great. Uh, this is all to say that my lightning round later will be very, very light because <laughs> all I did was lay around and watch television all weekend. Oh. I could not prop myself up to read and I couldn't sit um, up on like the edge of the couches or whatever to read either. So, um, but I did watch some stuff that I'll talk about later in the show. Um, falling is not good. I don't recommend it. You, you, you know, you could take it when you're younger, the older you get and it hurt anyway. Um, it's a great way to open up the show. I'm glad yeah. that I planned for this. Um, we have comics. We do not have a Ms. Marvel review here per se, but we are recording one this week. Uh, if all luck holds out, if Joey is able to make it, we are going to record that for you. And, uh, I think we're going to have a real good time with it because that was a mighty fine program. Beyond that, we got comics. We have uh, shitty updates to Oni Press, that whole thing from last week. Uh, a couple of casting things. San Diego Comic-Con is happening later this week, which is uh, bound to bring trailers and a bunch of announcements and stuff like that. So maybe we'll talk about some of that stuff. Uh, and we do have a listener question to get to at the end of the show as well. But for now, unless nobody has any harrowing stories about how they nearly killed themselves stepping over an exercise ball, I think we can move on. Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. Um, Let's have Bob go first Ooh. this week. All right. <laughs> Captain Carter, number four, Jamie McKelvey, Marika Cresta, Matt Miller, Clayton Cowles. It brings the mystery we've, seen, we've been following so far some new stakes, shall we say? As due to a battle with some henchfolk, Peggy's now wanted for murder. This Lady Out of Time story has been a blast so far, and with lovely nods to lots of past Marvel stories, this one's certainly no exception to that, particularly for fans of John Byrne's Captain America run, just saying. Captain Marvel 39 by Kelly Thompson, Juan Yeri, Alvaro Lopez, Jordi Belair, and Clayton Cowles explains what Carol was doing fighting a dragon last time around, and it's a doozy of an explanation. Just It goes all sorts of places. She's on trial for crimes against magic for her actions, trying to stop Ove, the future child of Amor the Enchantress, and Prince Namor. It would seem as if she has friends on the tribunal, but it's not looking good for old Carol. Meanwhile, Back on Earth, Jessica Drew and Binary are working through a whole bunch of stuff. Kyle's disappearance, a vampire outbreak, and a ham sandwich. When a very angry guest star drops into the finale. As always, Ms. Thompson has a great handle on what makes a special character special. And that just includes the supporting cast in this case. Just so much fun. Quick hitter on Batgirls 8 by Becky Cloonan, Michael W. Conrad, Robbie Rodriguez, Rico Renzi, and Becca Carey. Just simply one of my favorite books on the shelves today. I'm so glad that this is continuing. We thought it wouldn't be for a while. And 
Much, much love that this issue we get tons of Batgirl Prime, so to speak, and Nightwing in action. Finally, well, it's the finale of The Reckoning War and Fantastic Four 45 by Dan Slott, Fario Kamari, Jesus Arbatov, Joe Carmagna, in which Mr. Slott promised to change the Marvel Universe forever. <laughs> well, well, yeah, yeah, I guess he did in a very specific sense as to use an old municipal code phrase. You know, he resurveyed the property lines. Look, I'm, I'm joking a bit as there are a few resets that could lead to some interesting stories. For whoever the next creative team is, and I'll let them explore that. Uh, just knowing how Dan Slott respects Marvel's history, I didn't figure he'd blow up the sandbox on his way out the door anyway. All in all, I enjoyed the heck out of this self-contained event. Fingers crossed that whomever follows as regular FF writer can do as good a job of capturing the essence of the world's greatest comic magazine as Dan Slott did. That's it for me. Okay, if... You could pick the creative team for Fantastic Four, Bob. Who would you like to see on the book? Gail Simone, Nicholas Scott. Ooh, damn, you had that ready to go. Oh, yeah. Gail, I've had Gail in my head doing that book for a long time. That She did some of the wedding stuff, did some great stories with Sue and Ben and, and, and the supporting cast. Yeah, she'd be perfect. And who, who's better than Nicholas Scott? You mentioned Ham Sandwich yes. earlier. Mm-hmm. What was the name of that title that Kelly Sue DeConnick did that that came from the the make uh, Hulk make me a sandwich? Uh, that's Avengers Assemble, where Jessica, that's what Jess, it was. Jessica Drew is is proving yeah. that she can hypnotize the Hulk and doing what she wants. Hulk make me a sandwich. She, she pheromones him into oh. making a sandwich. <laughs> I need to read that again. That series was so good. Uh, we, you we guys, even, you... we even got Crocodile in that series. The thing <laughs> we were told not to look up that we all did. <laughs> I do not. I need to go back. I don't remember that. Oh, it's it's a horrible drug. It's sort of. It, it, what is it? It's it's a Croc- it's, it's it's a cheap version of heroin. It's a very artificial heroin, and it came from Russia and ended up here too. But people were injecting themselves and basically rotting all their flesh away. Crocodile, Crocodile drug fact. Yep. Look at the pictures. Look up some images, which is what Kelly Sue told us not to do, and we all immediately after she left did, and we all made ourselves. All right, sick. I'm gonna I'm gonna see what I can see. John, you can't post John an image. Or, trust me, you can't. No, John or Aaron, you guys read uh, Fantastic Four, right? We did. I yes, I did. We did. Aaron, yeah, I did. I um, okay. Go ahead. Go Jared. ahead. Um, no. I nope. I did not in. I, I didn't mind the ending. I didn't like the artwork. I didn't like the switch in the artwork. Um, and it felt a little too um, tied up, easily tied up loose ends. fixed. Tied up, yes, tied up loose yep. ends rather easily uh, for as much tension as they were building with Reed and with Johnny and with Ben. It just felt like it was all tied up with a bow a little too easily for me. Aaron, I he basically took my words. So my I have had issues with that art, um, that style of art for the Fantastic Four for a little while. Um, whenever they would dip into that sort of look, I didn't really love it so much because I didn't feel like I think I said this before. I didn't feel like it gave weight to the you know the tension that they were trying to build. I think it looked a little bit too cartoony for the tension that they were trying to build. 
Um, and even though, you know, it played well to the, or played anyway, to the, the emotional beats of it, it didn't play to the tension because it seemed like it was for more comedic work. Um, if that makes sense. I also found myself shockingly disappointed in Mr. Slot's ending because I have loved issue by issue every, every stop he's made along this journey for the Fantastic Four. And I do feel like this was rushed. I do feel like there was some editorial input here because it definitely seemed like it was rushed and it definitely felt like there was this uh, directive to just wrap it all up and get ready for the next thing. I just don't, it just seemed too convenient. Everything just seemed too convenient. And honestly, there were literally, I can't think of one. There were no consequences to all of this. Like, like, no, no, not to this. No, no, nothing negative. There was no negative consequences to this. It was such a very, you know, unimpactful to the characters uh, ending that I was I was shocked because Mister Slash usually pretty good at that. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I guess I was shocked. I I don't believe this was a hundred percent him. I don't believe this was a hundred percent his story. I I yeah. feel like every other issue has been leaps and bounds above, but they did give a little bit of a nod to a cliffhanger or well things to come and what that's going to mean. Um, and you know, there was, <laughs> someone was PO'd and I knew that was going to happen, but you know, um, <laughs> so is it the fantastic three now? We don't know, but yeah, I don't know. That's kind of helpful. But I, I, I expected so much and I don't think I got it. For this issue, Don't the series worry. overall, yeah. I will um, give a high. I yeah. will give thumbs up to this entire run any day of the week. And I still, if you have yeah. not read Dan Slott's latest run on Fantastic Four, you are really missing out. So I really would say, jump in. Yeah. In the old-fashioned debate, I'd have I'd have thirty seconds to respond. So here we go. In <laughs> in the sense that he's leaving. So again, blowing up the sandbox and making a mess for someone to clean up, I don't think is in his wheelhouse. So he was mm-hmm. going to, he was going to wrap it up. However, he's going to do it to get to here. The right. toys are back where they belong. You got, you have fun. And that's what we're going to do. The other thing is as for people who are reading the multiple X titles that cross over and never, ever end the story ever, and probably are still doing um, uh, storylines from Claremont. Uh, it's a different it's a different world than this one. FF has always been a little more self-contained. Uh, little things percolate through, but for the most part, they kind of begin and end. So it's just it's just a different vibe. And for those newer to this than I am, it does seem it's got to seem a little rapid. So I get what you guys are saying. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I... I just, I think you actually nailed it in, you know, in the last portion of what you said. It seemed a little rapid. It seemed a little rushed. It seemed like there were all these other aspects of that run have had consequences with Sky, with Johnny, with with um, Victorious, with all these. There were there were consequences to all of those stories that lasted, and even though they were able to move forward with them, there was still sort of a mark that was left. Um, I, I wouldn't have wanted him to blow up the sandbox, to be honest. I think that just would have been no. disrespectful to the, the universe and to the, the team. I, I think I just wanted, as each episode ratcheted up, and this, this, and this seemed like there was going to be a consequence, a significant consequence, as one of our major characters was 
purported to, you know, have, you know, an irreversible ailment. Um, I didn't, I didn't ever think that was going to happen, but I thought the consequences of saving, of preventing that were going to be felt. Um, I just didn't know, but I just think the way it was resolved was more convenient than I'm accustomed to Dan Slott being. Even in, you know, when you look at, um, was it Spider-Man? Uh, Spider-Man, what, what yeah. was, what was his, what was it called with, with Doc Ock? The Superior that one. Spider-Man? Superior yeah, Spider-Man. Superior Spider-Man. You know, he, I, I look back at that story ending and see how, yeah, there was a, the hero won, but not without sacrificing something and not without Luke. So that's kind of what I've come to expect from Dan Slott. And I just, I felt like maybe editorial jumped in and said, "Mm, we need to, we need to wrap this up and and set the stage for what's next. Um, I don't feel like, I just don't feel like this was all his story is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm wondering. He could have used another issue, I think. Exactly. Even though this felt like it went on for a little bit longer, I think he could have used another issue and maybe not rushed this ending. Because I don't think... I'm with Aaron. I think that this series has been amazing since it started. I just felt that this... The whole Reckoning War, it just got tied up way too easily. Yeah. But, you know, again... I'm going to lean into we'll it and next. say, y'all need to be picking up Fantastic Four, Dan Slide. If you haven't, get on Marvel Unlimited. It's You're missing out. Read I've it. recommended it to friends, and they've been like, and they have let me know how much they're enjoying it. So yep. get on that. Awesome. You guys have inspired me. I'm going to go and finish it. Good. And there's one more issue, right? He's got one more. Does he? I think he's got 46. He said 46. Yeah, said 46. yeah. Yeah, and then David Pepos is doing a couple issues. So I imagine this weekend we might get the announcement of who the new creative team is at San Diego. Oh, does San, does San Diego usually do comic-related stuff? It I don't even know anymore. It did. I mean, that used to be like that. <laughs> and was, then the man got a hold of it. Yeah, and then, then Hollywood came to town. But no, that used to be the big announcements, that in Chicago. Damn. I remember the well, one maybe, time, you know what? Maybe maybe we will. The one time I actually got to go to SDCC, I think, you know, I think I was, I, I mean, the Marvel movies weren't worth they, you know, I, I wasn't mm-hmm. with them the way I am now. But I think I spent the majority of my time there going from panel to panel to panel to panel, just, you know, hearing the, the comics news and excited about what was coming next for, you know, DC and Marvel and image and all that stuff. And then I remember specifically thinking like as an afterthought, hmm, maybe I'll see if I can get in line for Hall H. Yeah. Little did I know. Um, but um, I probably should have, been, I, I probably should have been camping out a week ahead of time just to get in line for Hall H. But yeah, I, I think those days are long gone. I think they probably, there's probably like a third. I mean, even before COVID, there's probably like a third of the attention on comics than there are on all the other related things, all the other immediate gratification mediums. My thoughts. Moving on. How many more of that uh, Captain Carter do we get? One. One more. <sighs> One more? Mm-hmm. I got to catch right. up on Captain Marvel as well. I, I, I'm i mad that I didn't get to that one this week. Hmm. So I, I'm just curious. Lots of Captain Marvel talk. It's funny, Bob. You mentioned the anniversary of Captain Marvel last week. 
And just like magic, uh, Facebook memories started reminding me of stuff from 10 years ago and like me posting uh, pictures of the Dexter Soy artwork when I was so blown away by that. Punching dinosaurs. Oh, God, it's so good. So good. I need more time. I need more time to read, to go back and reread whole series of things. All right, let's do another lightning round. Let's see. Aaron, why don't you go next? Free balling. All right. So, Oh, I read, I read one of your books. Hey, Hey, uh, okay. I'm not so free balling, huh? So here we go. Ready? Shazadayam. <laughs> So the first book, I'm actually going to switch up the order that I have my notes here. The first book, Ordinary Gods, number seven, Kyle Higgins, Joseph Clark. I've talked about this in the past. It's been a while since it's come out. Um, I wanted to bring it back up again because I think it's sort of wrapping up. But I, I this is another book that I was very, very excited to read because I feel like the last issue took us to a space that was, you know, that point just before everything really pops off and becomes like you're you're in the hunt, you're in the race, you know, you're, you're in the middle of the adventure you know, sort of like the middle part of an Indiana Jones movie when everything starts to sort of kick up. Um, turns out it was the exact opposite. So just to give you some background, again, just to remind everyone, Ordinary Gods, we have this scenario where there are these gods from another realm that were essentially usurped and imprisoned uh, in this realm on Earth as humans. Um, now they can get back to their home world, but they, all the gods that were imprisoned on Earth in human forms have to be awakened, essentially remember who they are, remember all of their memories, all the lives they've lived, because they've basically been going through this cycle for quite a while. Um, and then they can, you know, I'm going to oversimplify it, essentially reconnect a circuit that gets them back to their world um, and, and, you know, take away, take out the, uh, the, the posers that imprison them. So... The problem is there's always a villain and the villains are out there basically doing everything they can do to prevent them from getting back. And the best way to do that is to kill them because when you kill them, they essentially reset and they have to learn all of their memories and all of that stuff, all of their past lives have to be reawakened again. Um, and unless they're all awakened at the same time, it won't work. They can't, they can't get back. So our main, our main character, Christopher has been awakened. Um, he's sort of remembering everything. He's, you know, lost a lot. He's realized that there are people in his life, in his life who are part of this whole scenario, but um, not who they, they're no longer who they were. Um, and it's kind of traumatizing him, but he's trying to adjust because he's also having this flash of memories coming back, um, as is another part of their crew who he also just assisted in awakening. Awake, yeah, awakening. This issue, because all of that happened in the previous issue, this issue I thought was going to be the... The pow, bam, zoom, you know, we are in the thick of it now, but it was really just a very quiet issue of them aligning the chess pieces. They are, they are all now together, not all of them, but some of them, even though they've suffered a loss, they are now together um, with a bit of a plan in place about how they're going to, you know, complete this little circuit. I just, that's my way of describing it, but that's the best way to describe it. Complete this little circuit and get themselves back to their realm problem is some people have a darker way of doing this than others. It turns out what they have to do to get back to their realm may destroy this realm. Um, and some people don't really care. 
So now the mm. pieces are shifting again because now it is no longer an us against them, but it's an us against ourselves and them. So it's, it's become a little bit more political. A lot, not a lot of plot movement per se in this issue, but there was that one point that has shifted the the flow of the story. So I'm, I'm going to stick with it because you know how I like to finish things. But um, again, I've been enjoying the series. This issue was a little bit of a slowdown, but we're going to, I'm going to assume that there's something to come uh, next. The next book I read, Above Snakes Number 1, Sean Phillips, Hayden Sherman. I saw this uh, last week and I read a little bit about it and thought it was going to be pretty good, so I decided to pick it up. Um, this this is a story about revenge. Plain and simple. Uh, a story about revenge. Um, it kicks off in, I think it's a Genesis desert in uh, 1866, and our character Dirt is laying in the desert, essentially just sitting there waiting to die for all intents and purposes. But his little friend Speck... <laughs> Um, uh, who, who I will let you find out who that is on your own, convinces him to get his ass up and focus on something and go do that, and he does. Um, I'm really being very vague here because I do think that whole process is fun to, to sort of read through and see it happen, so I don't want to spoil it here. Um, but part of what he does is get him some revenge, and it's some revenge for women um, and some revenge against misogynistic bastard men. There's some stuff that happens that's pretty bloody. Um, and I don't necessarily think this story, this this episode or this issue rather, um, unraveled a lot. But what it did do was set a stage of how I think these stories are going to unfold and become a little bit more complex and a lot more fun. And I am very excited about it. The character of Dirt is very sort of, it's a Western setting. And the character of Dirt is very sort of low key, but very capable um, at one moment seems dumb, but the next minute seems again very capable and smart. Um, it's difficult to sort of settle on where he is, but I think this story is going to be a, a pretty fun sort of Western sort of revenge story. I got a very interesting Kill Bill vibe about this, to be honest with you, um, which is, I think, what sort of drew me through because that's one of my favorite movies. But um, I, I think this is probably the one you said you read, Steve, so I'm, I'm curious to see what your thoughts were about it. Because I enjoyed it. Didn't really unravel a lot. Didn't really open up the story too much. It was literally just chapter one. Um, but I, for some reason, there's, there's something about my body that sort of excited me because I think I, I have an idea where the story is going to go. And I think it's going to get really fun. What are your thoughts? My thoughts. I... Uh... It made me want to download Red Dead Redemption 2 and <laughs> give it another try. I tried playing that game. I think within the first two hours, I just, it was so slow. I was like, no, I can't do it. I love you, Rockstar, but no. Um, yeah, I've been looking forward to this for a while. I'm trying to remember the name of, Joey talked about it a lot. I mean, Hayden Sherman and Sean Lewis have done, I think, multiple projects in the past. Um, they've done the few, but there was, was it Thumbs mm -hmm. that came out with all the like, almost like sound wave art that that was. But I think this is the same creative team. And I just, I love seeing creators that work on multiple projects together watching them evolve as creators together. Uh, we've known Sean for a very long time or what feels like a very long time and seeing him grow as a writer and a storyteller has been a, a real joy. And 
this story so far is kind of hitting that sweet spot for like a Western revenge tale. Like you said, Aaron, that is the kind of stuff that I like. I don't always like Western as a setting for a story, but when it hits for me, it hits pretty hard. And this is, this is doing the job so far. It's very mythical in a way. What was that? Yeah. I was just saying, yeah, I agree. Oh, okay. No, I thought, uh, uh, yeah, but it's, it's cool. It's like, it's, it's one of those books that when you read it, you kind of feel dirty after it. <laughs> like everybody's real grimy. They've got rashes on their skin, blood's flying everywhere. There's one particular move once the shit hits the fan that I was like, I whooped when I was yeah. reading. It. I was like, yeah, <laughs> so good. Um, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. It's kind of, it. I think it's one of the stories that starts the way that these stories are supposed to start. But knowing Sean, it will evolve into much more as it continues. Um, I feel like we have a lot left to learn about dirt. And I, you know, I definitely delight in a book that is putting men in their place and doing it in such a way that you can feel it. And not all of those feelings are pleasant. Let me tell you, there's one person that goes out that I was just like, nope, nope. That's not the way that I want to go. The password is Bobbit. Uh, <laughs> Slash. <laughs> so, not a good time. No, the I think he he spun a lot of plates in the air, and and we're just going to see. So you have the revenge plate. You have the the lost loved ones plate. Obviously, that's fueling the revenge. You have this Western thing that you know we're digging deep into. We have this community of of people that are all in the same space looking for vengeance because they've all been wrong the same way they've all lost in the same way uh, there are a lot of these different things that he spun off and gave you a touch of you know but you know he didn't give you the full story he didn't complete anyone's backstory you know he just said well this is so and so this is what happened this is where they this is where they are now go so it's gonna be interesting i'm i'm, I'm interested I like this dude in the beginning, this kind of like snake oil salesman that has all these memories and jars and stuff. It's really, really cool. I really like the artwork for this issue. I, I, I don't even know how you begin to draw like this. It's not sketchy. Everything is so precise, but there's so many scribbles involved, but they all look purposeful and it blows my mind. I love, I love, like I said, I love watching this art evolve even the colors uh, throughout this are really wicked. It's a it's a really strong start. I'm not surprised. So shout out All right, that's my lightning round. <laughs> oh boy! All right. Um, I guess I'm the only one that read your stuff. So maybe we can move on to John. We're gonna make this a short one this week, folks. Well, Zah. well, buckle up. I read a lot. All right. Well, it's uh, the summer of John continues. All right. Go ahead. Let's go with X-Men number 12. Um, this came out a few weeks ago, but I kind of got like Aaron did a few weeks ago. I got caught up on all my X-Men and X-Men number 12. You got Jerry Dugan and Pepe Larraz, uh with Marty Gracia on colors and Clayton Cowles on letters. This kind of wraps up the first year of this flagship mutant book um, or mutant team. It wraps up a lot of stories. You have the female members of the team. So Jean, Polaris, Rogue, and Wolverine. 
going to Casino World and dealing with Cordyceps Jones, who's basically the casino bets on the destruction of planets. And that was kind of the core of the beginning of this book. Um, while Sink and Cyclops are dealing with Dr. Stasis and Orcus, uh, the mutant or the human, the human hating mutant organization bent on destroying Krakoa. And this is a couple weeks old, so I'm not, I don't feel like I'm spoiling, but Dr. Stasis is revealed to be Nathaniel Essex, AKA Mr. Sinister, the first Mr. Sinister. You have to remember, Mr. Sinister was not a mutant. He cloned mutant genes into himself to make him a mutant so they wouldn't hurt him later on. Um, and so is this the original Mr. Sinister? We don't know. Um, and that, that'll play out later, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But the big deal was, earlier in this book, Sink um, wiped Ben Urich's memories because Ben Urich was on the story of Cyclops, and Captain Krakoa, and he'd pieced together Resurrection. So now, Resurrection is no longer a secret. The humans know about it. And this is kind of the beginning of interconnected X-Books, where the storylines are playing across multiple books again, and the themes of X-Men 12 get picked up in Immortal X-Men number 4. You got Kieran Gillen, Michelle Bandini on art, with David Curell on colors, and Clayton Cowles on letters. So this book is intriguing because each issue is from the perspective of one of the members of the Quiet Council. So issue one was Mr. Sinister, two was Hope, three was Destiny, and now it's Emma Frost's turn. And it's really dealing with the inner machinations of the Krakoan government and what they allow the people to know and what they don't allow the people to know and there's really two factions, Charles Xavier on one, Destiny and Mystique on the other, and Emma's, Emma's Emma, um, Emma is now sleeping in her diamond form because she is so fearful of ramifications uh, to her, um, but it's the eve of the Hellfire Gala um, where many human ambassadors and leaders are hitting Emma up to release resurrection, but just to their leadership and the billionaires. Not everybody needs it. Um, there's a protest of a woman whose husband had just died of leukemia and the mutants can't bring him back. And it's just kind of, you know, there's, there's kind of building that maybe the mutants aren't as beloved as they were in the first few years of this Krakoan experiment. Uh, and then we pick up with Mr. Sinister his clones, Cyclops reveals Nathaniel Essex. We find out more about Mr. Sinister. He has a Doomsday Moira clone that he feels that if he ever has to pull the trigger on this timeline, he can do that. And what we're really learning is Destiny is pulling all of the strings here. And I think that this is going to set up some future X-Men X, X fun. Um Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, Sentinel of Truth, the, the dueling Captain America books. Uh, Sentinel of Liberty first, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Carmen Carnero. This is the Steve book. Uh, the conspiracy is deepening as the truth of Steve's shield and really the five-pointed star begins to unravel. Um, there's cryptic messages that Steve's uh, old-time buddies on the ham radio 
are, are piecing together, leading uh, Steve to German power plant and a collection of adversaries from AIM, Hydra, S.H.I.E.L.D. And we get to see the maybe the, the council of enemies who are plotting against Steve, but they're all in shadow and you can try and piece them together. You might think you know who a couple are, but I guarantee you we probably don't know who they are. Um, this is good stuff, and, and I'm really liking the conspiracy here. I'm liking a, a more grounded Steve. And then you got Sentinel of Truth, which is Tochi Onobuchi, writer, R.B. Silva Art. Uh, this is uh, uh, Falcon Cap. Um, and Captain America here teams up with Deadpool. Apparently Deadpool is the new... It used to be Spider-Man always had to guest star in the earlies of a book. Then it was Wolverine. Now it's Deadpool. If you want to sell a, a, a relaunched book, you throw Deadpool in there. Well, Deadpool is in Latveria. Uh, Sam is trying to seek out Super Soldier Serum. Somebody's trying to reinvent the Super Soldier Serum and sell it on the open market. Deadpool's looking for somebody who's trying to sell Vibranium. It's piecing together that maybe the Super Soldier store, uh, formula and the Vibramium are intermingled. Uh, you get the White Wolf is one of the big bads, along with Crossbones. While the Falcon uh, is dealing with the illegal immigrants from issue number one, and there's something off with them, and we all know America is so open to all immigrants, especially the illegal kind, and so nobody tries to do anything awful or evil to them. Uh, I like this book. I don't know which one I like more. I, I'm really enjoying both. Uh, they're very different. They, they look very different. They feel very different. And I think that that's a good thing. I, uh, the last time they tried this experiment, they had Nick Spencer writing both books. I think in having two different creative teams, two different writers, they're both telling their own Captain America stories with their Captain Americas. And I think that that makes for a better read right now. All right. It was promised to us and it is back. Daredevil, number one, Chip Zdarsky and Marco Cicchetto uh, with Matthew Wilson on Colors. Um, we had the devil's reign. Uh, now we have the same incredible creative team that took over this book in 2019. They're back. Matt Murdock is dead. Mike Murdock is dead, but Matt Murdock is dead. Uh, daredevil has agreed to leave New York city with Electra to wage war on the hand in the Punisher, who is now the, the chief assassin for the hand. But he has one last day in New York uh, just to let the villains know that he and his friends are are still around. They work over Butch Fisk, who is the new kingpin of crime. Uh, he teams up with Spider-Man to do this. Uh, we meet a new ally or enemy. We're not 100% sure. Uh, there's some random acts of violence or kindness going on throughout this, depending on your point of view. And of course, it's not a Daredevil book if Matt Murdock doesn't have some form of tragedy put upon him. And I don't know how Matt gets up in the morning, but I think that's what makes him Daredevil. Uh, there's a cool backup story with Elektra and Stick uh, as they are setting up their forward base to deal with the hand. And they make that base on a Russian island and the Russians want it back. Uh, I didn't expect this to not be incredible. Batman last week, this week with Daredevil. Zdarsky blows me away with how he writes differently 
every story he's telling and they all work. Um, to think that this was the guy who was the, the artist of sex, uh, sex criminals and he's probably the go-to writer in comics right now or one of them. And then fine. What? Oh, no, no, I'm not going to interrupt you. Okay. You're doing great. All right. And then finally, X, Avengers, X-Men, Eternals, Eve of Judgment, number one. You got Kieran Gillen writer, Pasquale Ferry as artist. You got Dean White on colors and Clayton Cowles on letters. After last week's Dark Crisis, now you got Judgment Day. It's summer event season, people. Let's get our clothes out. Let's get our our swimsuits on, our tank tops, and let's go for summer event season. Um, I wear none of those, but you know, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, Aaron's free balling. I'm, I'm in summer gear. Um, this issue is a prologue, uh, setting the stage for what this, this whole thing is going to be. Uh, in the wake of the Thanos eternal story, Droog is the prime eternal and he sets his sights on the mutants because all Eternals are gene-coded to destroy all excess deviation, and the mutants might be the most excessive deviation. Uh, The Eternals are splintered. Most of the ones that you know, like Icarus and Cersei, are living amongst the deviants underground. Droog is at um, uh, one of the main Eternal capitals. You have other things going on. But Droog decides to create a bomb to eradicate Krakoa. Uh, but the island is somehow linked to the Great Machine, a.k.a. Earth, who is the narrator of this story, and it's awesome. And therefore, you can't destroy Krakoa because that would destroy Earth. So now he has to find another way to wipe the mutants off the Earth. Uh, Eternals can't stop themselves from fighting deviants, and if the mutants are deviants, then that's going to set up one half of this, or one part of this showdown. I still don't know how the uh, Avengers fill it into this, but I'm on board. Judgment Day number one comes out this week, and I will be picking it up and enjoying some summer event season. And I'm done. Because the Avengers stick their nose in everything. Yes, they do. That's that's how they're. <laughs> they're nothing can happen on the planet without the Avengers feeling as though it's. Oh, you're still then. you're still bitter about the trial Magneto, aren't you? <laughs> they just come to Krakoa and take over. <laughs> now, who the f do you think you are, anyway? Um, yeah, I've read Immortal X Men. By the way, I forgot to put the the thing on there, um, mm-hmm. on the outline. Um, this issue was interesting from an Emma perspective, giving you that little insight into her insecurities, consider, you know, and playing that against her use of her diamond form. You know, her diamond form makes her unhurtable, you know, invulnerable, but more so not from a physical threat, but from the emotional threat of her mind being invaded by her telepathy and while she sleeps, which I thought was an interesting way of looking at it. Um, yeah, yeah I, I thought, yeah, I need, I need something to happen to sinister. I, I just need something to happen to sinister. That's my only other comment. <laughs> I'm just, I love sinister. God, he's I love amok. him. He's run amok, but he's, still he's got so many, he's got so many balls in the air with all of his different plans. I don't know how he keeps them straight, but I, I, 
I just keep waiting for it to all Don't fall stop down. That. But it, <laughs> yeah, I know. But, <laughs> oh well, I I I just love Sinister and how he's portrayed here. So, Bob, Captain I, I America, guess. tell me how great it is. I am loving what they're doing across both books, and again, very hard to follow Ta-Nehisi Coates. Mm-hmm. Very and much. by doing something. It is both kind of similar and different at once, which is really good. We have not just gone full superhero. It's very easy to just go there and let's just have some daring do. No, we've got we've got issues happening here. Um, don't know if I'm completely thrilled with a new designer for Cap Shield, though. I've been trying to work out is his name an anagram? Yeah, I was looking at that. <laughs> it, it looks like an eye chart. It's got to be something I haven't figured out yet. But it it is just. Uh, as you say, the, both books are so different, art-wise. R.B. Silva and uh, Carmen Canero, who I know from from Captain Marvel, but the way Cap is drawn here, there's a sadness to Steve sitting around mm-hmm. that I really it goes right back to the, the Stan and Jack man out of time kind of thing. So I'm I'm enjoying this, and I I was not sure. Again, you, you follow someone as iconic as Tom, Mr. Coates was. It's 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 really good so far. I'm hoping they can continue. Loving it so far, though. Did you uh, like the end of uh, Sentinel of Liberty? Da, da, da. Cliffhanger. Yeah. Cliffhanger. Uh, cliffhanger. I, I like that one. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's not forgot, going like, where we think, but it, it's it's a biggie. It's a biggie. I kind of forgot she was around still from Coates' run, so that was good. Hmm. Hmm. They say. Mm. John, I have questions for you. All right, hit me up. Okay. When you were doing your lightning round, did you say Eve of the Hellfire Gala? Mm-hmm. Yes. Is there another Hellfire yeah, had, Gala? Oh, yeah. There oh, was yes. a, a $9 book that came out this week that I passed upon because I will wait for Marvel Unlimited. Um, yeah, there, yes. it's a yearly thing now. It has not been a year since we read Hellfire yeah, Gala summer. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's no. That's where yeah. this X Men team was put together, and this what? is twelve issues. I was yeah. going to say we are on issue twelve. Oh my god, what <laughs> even is time anymore? Sword, Holy X, crap! X of Swords was two years ago. Yes. Oh. Yeah, and so Listen. House of X, and, and that was three. This is three third oh. year of Krakoa. And the and, swords thing and the I Doomsday believe. Clock having... was what? How long ago? <laughs> I'm I'm having trouble with the Hellfire Gala thing. That's how is that possible? You know what? No, yeah, because for all that the gala, the Hellfire Gala stuff was very mixed among the group. We've not stopped talking about it or referencing it the whole year. That's why. That's where they terraformed Mars, which is one of the coolest issues. Yeah, Yeah. it wasn't mixed. We hated it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't hate it. There were parts we I didn't like. I didn't like oh, no. the, the disconnected of it. Yeah, we. I like the sniping. We loved the uh, Mars part. That was awesome. Yeah. But uh, we felt like I think I remember us all saying like we felt like all the hubbub over what this Hellfire Gala was going to be and how it was the same story was told from like five different books. We were sort of just like, mm-hmm. well, that was an expensive way to tell a single story. Oh yeah, no, it was definitely overhyped, but like the outfits were cool. Oh yeah. The like the the banter around the party was fun. Everybody talking about each other and getting sloshed. Yeah. There were aspects of it that were oh, good. It wasn't terrible. I think it was also we were kind of expecting another X of Swords, and that's just not what it was. Nope. That is that's <sighs> a, can't that's go the, back. That is the inflection point where we were all sort of like 
yeah, we think X Men has lost its steam. That was that point where we're all just yeah. like, yeah, we're not, we're not all as invested as we once. And that's were. when Hickman that announced was, that he was leaving, and we were all. That worried. was Joey that planted that seed. Of course, I remember yeah. that specifically. Yeah, but we all felt it. <laughs> we all felt. We it. did. I fell for it real hard. Yeah, I cut. I cut some of the X books after that, but I've. I've I started picking up more and more. Like I, I'm loving Marauders. X Men Red might be my favorite. Yes. X book right now. I love that book. There's so many. All, ba- there's so much backstabbing. Oh. I meant to yeah. say before. I think Bob, if there was ever an X book that you were going to read, this is a true story. Uh, this is my honest opinion. I think X Men Red would be it primarily. Because it is about seventy percent Storm, and she is amazing. Mm-hmm. She always is in this in this book. She is um, she is running things and wrecking shop. And she has they went through this period where she had to prove herself in this space, and she shut them. She shut down some what would appear to be, you know, unbeatable opponents with her smarts and i mean she was mm-hmm. she actually, at one point but i'll just give you like a set of perspective at one point she was up against an opponent who literally stripped her of her powers and she still whooped his ass because that's storm <laughs> it's like so it's like x-men 170 where she, she's taking right. on the morlock yeah, yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. it okay. was awesome now, so, yeah you so you would like x-men red I wouldn't. I wouldn't put you on any of the other books, but I think X Men Red is the one that I think I would be like Bob. Bob would enjoy this. Bob would just enjoy seeing the focus on Storm, the the Magneto Edge, a couple of the other questions that's being asked there. The you know, I just yeah, I I, I think you would enjoy it. But you get yeah. you get to watch Falcon get tuned up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, another question yes. for you. Did something happen in what's that Daredevil series with um, Elektra, that three issue Daredevil Woman Without Fear or Woman in Red? Oh, from the um, the Devil's Reign. No, that that she just took on um, Craven the Hunter. Okay, there, there was nothing I'm like a little, added to it. Yeah, I tried to read Daredevil number one last night, and I read like the first few pages and was like, something is up. I feel like either I don't remember how Zdarsky's first uh, era of this wrapped up, or like it wrapped. Did any? Did, did something re- happen? Did you read Devil's Reign? No, no. You need to read Devil's Reign. Okay, because that's where all of this new iteration of Daredevil comes from. So All right, because they yeah. were they were talking some smack in those first two pages, <laughs> and I was just like, I don't remember any of this. Yeah, it, it all comes out of Devil Devil. Think of Devil's Reign as another volume of Daredevil. All right, all right, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Do you do you think, in your professional Daredevil opinion, that they needed to renumber this for a number one, or could they just have kept going if they were going to keep the same team? I think they could have kept going. Um, I like that the legacy number is 649. I don't know why they just didn't try and do like start with 650 or something. Um, But I also know that a new number one 
bump sales. And, and I think this is a book that Marvel probably really wants to have around with this creative team, but I don't know if it's their biggest seller. And so a number one might bump it up. Right. Uh, last but not least, did you read Public Domain? I did. What'd you think of it? I enjoyed it. I, it was it was not what I thought it was going to be. I like that yeah. it wasn't. It's, it's it, I I love that backstory. I love, and you know that it's it's Kirby and Lee exasper, exasperated, but I love that it's not a superhero book. It's a family story, and. and I wasn't sure what it was going to be, but I, I, I really did enjoy that first issue. I got a little bit of um, like Brew Baker and Phillips vibes from it, like uh, a little mm-hmm. bit of that bad weekend. Yeah, like yeah, like just poor decisions were made by a few people, and it could have gone a lot worse for them. Yeah, yeah, you can read. Yeah, it. I do. I do agree. When I was reading it, I was like. I did not know what this is about, but this is definitely not what I thought this book was about. Yeah, apparently it's done on Substack, but you know, I don't. I, I'll wait for the image because I think Substack is dead. I hope all the people. Speaking got paid of books online, I saw the trade for that uh, Friday series oh, that cool. was coming out. Yeah, I should have picked it up. It was only seven bucks, but um, maybe I'll go back over the weekend and grab it. Cool. All right. I guess I'll do a lightning round, see what I can cobble together for you. Uh, I don't have any notes and I didn't read a lot. Uh, You guys ever hear of this book called uh, Prodigy? No. Tell us about it. Hmm. All right. Yeah. So (laughs) after Aaron (laughs) raved, I know I've used it one too many times. The joke is dead. That's on me. Sorry, everybody. I apologize. Uh, In all seriousness, though, Prodigy Volume 1, The Evil Earth, and also Prodigy, uh, The Icarus Society, number one, but we'll get there. Uh, The first trade or first couple, first six, I should say, are written by Mark Millar, with art by Rafael Albuquerque, colors by Marcelo Mayalo, and letters by Peter Doherty. So Aaron's already talked this up quite a bit, so I'm not going to spend too much time recapping. Uh, I will just say that your hype for this series, sir, was spot on. (laughs) It's really good. It's really good. The story is awesome. It's it's something that I've seen before, but it's also a great one of those. Um, by one of those, I mean a globe-trotting spy mission to save the world. Uh, you know, bigger villains than you can imagine. Even more stuff happening in the background. Double crosses, blah, 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 blah. But what I really, really liked about Prodigy overall was Edison Crane the character. Mm. Really, really dig that he is just this smart. Do they ever explain it, Aaron? Like why? Or is he just, Um, yeah, no, it's not, it's never been, this is another thing I love. It's never been explained like, okay, he was like dipped in radioactive something or other, or he's some sort of genetic. No, it's just that his, his brain, he can just do these things. He's just really, really smart. He doesn't have a superpower. He's just really, really smart. It's interesting. There was a story in CBR this week that talked about how they felt about that, about his, about that skill. It's, it's, 
it's awesome. It's a really it's a really cool way to almost make him feel like he has superpowers. Like I constantly had to remind myself that he's just a dude. Like he's just a really cool, intelligent as all get out, the smartest person on the planet um, doing his thing. And he's kind of this thrill junkie. He's, he's always taking these uh, death defying stunt uh, dares from people, particularly this one kid online that keeps asking him to do these wild things. And he's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's set it up for this weekend. No problem. Um, but there's, so there's a moment they very early, they give you an idea as to who Edison Crane is. He had to have been maybe seven to nine. I'm not really good with gauging uh, kids on uh, their ages, but yeah. his, his little, his little friend, like they walk into the room like, oh, is it so nice that they're getting along together? Little kid has a heart condition. Edison <laughs> thinks he knows how to fix it. They walk into the room to go and see how they're getting along. And he's got the kid on a table in like the sitting room, chest open and asking for silence as he's performing open heart surgery on this kid that he just met. Yep. And I was like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so cool. But one of the... One of my favorite moments, and this isn't really spoiling anything, Edison is, aside from like being a thrill seeker or a, or a stunt junkie or whatever, one of his biggest kinks, if you will, is taking people that have lost their way and mm. speaking with them, figuring out what their deal is and kind of pointing, not only pointing them in a new direction, but giving them a new direction to go toward. There's a moment when he and his partner are hanging on for dear life, literally from a, uh, from a, a crash of sorts like a train or something. and the henchmen are there and they're, they've got their guns trained on him and they're going to shoot him and they're going to collect their, you know, their winnings and whatever and go home and live fat, and whatever. And he just starts talking with them and basically uh, breaks down this person's history as they have a gun trained on them and does so, so accurately that he gets right into the heart of this person. And basically we join them a couple of minutes later and they're helping them up off of the, I don't want to say what it is, but they're helping them away from the crash. And basically he's giving these people new jobs he's and like, new relocation you plans had for yourself. He's like, is this where you yeah. saw yourself? <laughs> you know, like, is this help. the way you wanted to go? Or did you go down a darker path when this happened to you? And then describing that thing and having it be so overwhelmingly accurate that it brings this person to near tears and they go from wanting to kill him to doing anything and everything to see that he gets to his destination and going so far as to like pick up the walkie talkie and tell everybody to stand down and just give him a clear path because he is that compassionate and that understanding. And that was a really, really awesome moment for that. Like I already liked him, but this was probably issue three. And that, that moment and that issue in particular really sealed the deal for me uh, with him. I liked hearing the stories about him, that his pilot friend was, uh, or his like, um, what do you call it? Not a concierge. That's not the wrong word. Guide or something. Yeah. What is it? This guy Friday. Think God. Think Godfather one. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, obviously, Raphael Albuquerque, the artwork is just out of this world. What I was surprised to see otherwise, though, was how drastically the tone of the series changes when you get to the new volume, when you get to the Icarus Society stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Icarus Society is Mark Millar, Matteo uh, uh, Buffagani, uh, Laura Martin does the colors and Clem Robbins does the letters. So where Edison kind of came off as a superhero to me in the first volume, he that kind of fades away in this one and you get more of a like pulpy detective version of him. Um, it's still very cool. It feels very 70s to me. For some reason, I don't know if that's just a, a byproduct of the art or the the tone and the mood of the story or how we're going from, I would say, like larger groups and conspiracies to a more focused case that he's working. But um, still really, really good, really engaging. It's fun to see kind of a different shade on the character and that we're not just doing another bombastic, uh, you know, go from here to there and everywhere to stop the the people. I'm trying so hard not to spoil who's responsible for everything in the first book. Um, I did. Aaron, what did you think of, I know you talked about it last time, but now that I've read it, like remind me, what was your take on the new issue versus the, the other stuff? I think it, it was, I think it's trying to hint that he's bored that, you know, not, maybe not bored, but he's unchallenged. He's sort of like evolved to this point where his not a lot is really exciting him. And I think he had a line. I, I don't exactly remember what the exact words were, but essentially if he doesn't have a mystery to solve, then he's, he's not alive. And so he, I think what it was, all those flashbacks, what they were trying to allude to was him setting up ways of challenging himself to sort of keep the fuel going, you know, in his brain. Um, I, I think it's almost saying that if it's not constantly, if you turn, if you turn the car off, you may not be able to start the car again. Almost. It's kind of what I'm, I, I think he's, he's afraid of, which is why, you know, he had yeah. that whole, um, you know, discussion of the story that he wrote um, and all the parts and the pieces and the, the, the history out there and all the, the, the chapters and the sections and the research. And then basically he just threw it all away because he just wanted to do something that was incredibly challenging that no one else could do just to sort of keep the fuels going, the fire going in his brain. Um, so I think that's kind of what you're, we're looking at. I don't think he's any less capable. I think he's just bored with the things that he's being presented with now. Cause he had another scenario where like someone else was like challenging him to do something else. And he's like, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll do that too. But next, you know what I mean? So is he younger in the second volume? No, I don't think so. Cause the art, the art makes him look younger. Yeah. In this so. one. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, the, the art, I, I, I love both artists i think i think both artists are doing an incredible job i just it's such it's so different visually that it it really kind of threw me that i didn't know where we were in the timeline for him for this story uh the last thing that i want to point out though is that (laughs) i love the ridiculousness of he's got kind of like a bond villain for his 
uh, like prime villain for this series so far. And he, the villain just shows up and he goes, do you know I had my hands replaced with chimpanzees last <laughs> night? I didn't lose them in an accident or anything. It was actually a very conscious decision. Dude just cut off his hands and replaced them with chimpanzee hands because he just like the mood struck him and he felt like it. So he, he did it. He thought, like, he wow, thought they man, would be more some... utilitarian. He's like, eh, they're much more useful than yeah. human hands. Like more points of articulation, longer so, face. I just, I, I cracked up at that. I was like, "This is great. This guy is great. I want to, I want to party with him." With so hands. good. Uh, <sighs> all right. Um, next on my list is Flavor Girls number one. Arkea put this out. Uh, this is by. Here we go. Goik Gokatelli Corn Whiskey. I looked it up. That's how you say it, I think. Uh, With Eros de Santiago, uh, Nauco, Camille, and V are the dragon fruit, pomegranate, and artichoke flavor girls, sacred fruit guardians of Earth. They defend the mother tree, the source of their power, from the threat of ever-looming aliens who landed 12 years ago and whose motives regarding the planet are yet unknown. Sarah is a young woman studying to become an international peacekeeper until one day she gets caught up in an alien attack. In the midst of the battle, she is chosen by the mother tree as the newest flavor girl with a sacred duty to defend the earth and all of its inhabitants. There's just one problem. She's never fought an alien in her life and she has no clue what she's doing. Can she figure out her powers and her place on the team in time to help save the world? Okay, I'm going to throw some words at you to describe the flavor of Flavor Girls. This is Magical Girls with a French and Japanese influence and a twist of Kristen Gudnuck humor and heart through and through. I don't know if Kristen has read this or seen this, but I may need to reach out to her and recommend because this series reminds me of her in a lot of ways. Uh, This is a fish out of water story of joining this character, Sarah, who is just coming onto this team. They're kind of like Sailor Moon meets Powerpuff Girls, and they're basically protecting the Earth from these aliens that have landed, and they're just kind of hanging out in the sky. It's this gigantic face, and they will mess up your stuff. They did it uh, however many years ago, and they'll do it again if the Flavor Girls are not there to stop them. It is a lot of fun. It is ultra, ultra colorful. And if you've ever read any like French graphic novels, there's just this look and aesthetic to them. This has got a little bit of that. Um, it's also got a little bit of um, – who is it? Uh, Nomura from uh, I Kill Giants. There's some of that in there too. Um, I don't mean to keep name dropping. I'm just very tired this week. And like I said, I don't have a lot of notes. It's a good time though. It's double sized. It was like 57 pages. So you're totally getting your money worth. I think there's only three of these. So if you're not that interested in it, wait uh, maybe until it's done and I'll let you know how it wraps up. But it was delightful. It was nice to pick up something and not have to think about it too hard. Just enjoy the characters, enjoy the banter, kind of learn the lore, 
and just look at a really, really pretty book with lots of powers and heroism. And it's all really, really good stuff. Last but not least, like I said, I spent a great deal on the couch uh, this weekend. We wrapped up Umbrella Academy season three. Really enjoyed it. Uh, What else did we finish? I can't remember. We finished something else. But we did watch uh, all of Resident Evil, the new Resident Evil Netflix series. I'm here to tell you. Said this online. I'm going to say it again here. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Do not let people review bombing this thing tell you otherwise. Look, I'm as big of Resident Evil fan as the next person. I can understand if people don't think that there's enough Resident Evil-ness to it. But what I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, that is a good thing. Because they've not done well by Resident Evil for a very long time in live action. I think everything has its place. The latest thing that we got, that Welcome to Raccoon City movie? Woof. That was that was not it. That was that movie. Hmm. Um, this is really good. It's a, it's a zombie apocalypse story, obviously, but it is very focused on Umbrella and them trying to pick up the pieces after a disaster in Raccoon City. They've built new Raccoon City and they're trying to perfect and distribute this drug called Joy. Unfortunately, Joy is using old elements from their old experiments. And of course, because it's Umbrella, there are deadly side effects and they're trying to figure out a way around it. Only some of their test subjects have gotten out and now the virus is spreading and the apocalypse comes. This is a show that is told in two different timelines, two different perspectives. Unlike The Witcher season one, there are very clear markers and there's a big delineation between one timeline and the next uh, Lance Reddick is in this and he is absolutely amazing as he always is. Uh, Tamara Smart is great. Ella Balinska is also really good in this show. And for me, it is very much the story of the Weskers. You have Albert Wesker, who is Lan- uh, Lance Reddick, and then his two daughters. And you are following them through living in this new raccoon society and him trying to do his experiments and not screw it up a second time because it's Resident Evil. Of course, it's going to get screwed up. But instead of packing the whole series with one reference after another, after another, after another to Resident Evil, it's telling a brand new story with brand new, mostly brand new characters. But it peppers in familiar things. Like there's at least one big familiar Resident Evil signpost per episode it's almost like they designed it that way like this one we're going to give you zombies this one we're going to give you the dogs and then this one we're going to do this so on and so forth um there's some really cool nods to both the, the video game franchise and the film franchises throughout this thing uh it's a little slow in places but it does eventually get there it does get as ridiculous as some of the resident evil lore that you know and love and all I'm saying is, give it a shot. Try it. Don't let the reviews fool you. Okay? It's good. Damn it. I want another season of it, so you better watch it. All right. That's it. 
<laughs> Listen, I I hate it when people flip out because they don't get the thing they want and then they organize and go online to get a bunch of people that are into this sort of thing of just ruining something for somebody and just going in there and posting a bunch of shit when you probably didn't even watch the whole thing and give it an honest try. And when I see like 3.5 out of 10 on IMDb for this thing, it is not that, that it is not that series in my opinion. (laughs) TM. So there you go. There's my little rant in defense of, Resident Evil. <laughs> yeah. Does anybody have any questions? I have any never comments? watched a Resident Evil movie. You've never seen any of them? No. I think I've just they're seen not, two. They're not that good. Yeah. I they're, they're not that good. I think. Yeah, I, I have I, their moments. They've been like, they've been around for almost 20 years, haven't they? Been around for a long time. It's Mila Jovanich, right? Yep. Yep. Jovanich, yes. Whatever. Yeah. The, the stoner girl from Days and Confused. Yep. Uh, Mike Epps, Oded Fair. There's a lot of there's a lot of people uh, that come and go throughout. Um, Michelle Rodriguez, Eric Mabius. Um, yeah, it's you know it's had its ups and downs, but like if they're not going to do the thing, if they're not going to just make a show where they're in the mansion, that's what the the newest movie tried to do and failed miserably. But do something new with it. Introduce some new characters. Tell a different story. And that's exactly what this did. I would rather them try to do something different with it and have it be just good or very good instead of them trying to do the thing and screwing it up yet again. So I don't know. And it looked good too. Like, I don't know what kind of budget this thing had, but whatever makeup effects, whatever digital effects they had, everything looked on point. It didn't look cheap in any way, shape or form. Uh, I liked a lot of the sets. There were definitely a couple of surprises along the way, particularly in the last two episodes. And like I said, lots of clever nods to the games without overdoing it. Basically just putting some stuff in there for the fans, but telling a new story in that universe. And I really hope that it gets picked up again, because I think them taking some of the criticisms that were legit about the season, taking that to heart and going back to the drawing board and kind of retooling things for season two, uh, I think it could be really awesome. And I just wish that people would give stuff a chance. That's what I say. It's 2022. You realize it's never going to happen. Yeah. I know I'm barking up the wrong tree and I'm being a brat about it. I just, people don't give chances. I want, I, yeah, but you're being a good brat. It's the people who don't even, I know. I just, I see so many, I write so many articles of stuff being canceled all the time. And when the good stuff goes or stuff goes too soon. And that's the thing. Like Netflix has a habit of killing things off. If it doesn't do gangbusters. And I mean, it's reviewing well by critics and it's it's trending well on the app itself, which is is the most important part. But bad word of mouth can really sink this thing. And like, I would I would like to see them get another shot at continuing the story, the story, especially with where they leave it. And I think that aspects of the cast were really brilliantly uh, cast and done and performed and all of that stuff. And um, I just I think there's a lot of potential there. So 
It's only eight episodes. It's good stuff. It's not going to change the world, but it's a good time. <laughs> okay. Let's do some news. Oni, 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 Oni Press. <laughs> so this actually, this tweet went up while we were podcasting last time because we had to re-record the show. But I didn't bring it up again because we had already talked about Oni and we moved on and I didn't want to kill the mood after Thor Love and Thunder. So I saved this for this time. Uh, Oni Press put out a statement on Twitter kind of explaining their position and all of the stuff that is happening. Uh, So I will read this to you now. With wildly sensationalistic rumors circulating and false information spreading, we'd like to reiterate that recent personnel changes at Oni Lion Forge Uh, Publishing group were made with the sole purpose of evolving the company and brand and positioning it for a long-term success. (sighs) Boy, bye. We're proud of our long history in the business of uh, and continually strive to be better and do better. We started Lion Forge Comics 11 years ago specifically to make great creator-driven content, and Oni's history is 25 years in the business. Within a new framework that is being worked on now, we remain committed to publishing groundbreaking content, embracing pioneering creators, and advancing authentic diversity and inclusion. We see an incredibly exciting future, not just for the company, but for our fans and content consumers worldwide. Oni. Oni Forge or Oni Lion, whatever your name is now. Maybe don't put out a statement about how pumped you are for the future and evolving your brand and positioning yourself for long-term success after you take a huge swath to a good cross-section of your creative team and talk about how you're so incredibly excited to embrace pioneering creators when you've just let a ton of them go. Uh, I don't know what you all think of this statement, but I don't think they did themselves any favors with this. This feels pretty tone deaf to me. Uh, it also feels like incredibly corporate. Yeah. Uh, it maybe needed a little bit more of a gentler touch. This so some humanity John would have been this. Nice. This, <laughs> yeah. this screams we're cutting cost. Our publishing future is being bought by somebody else, and we are going to cut our staff so that they don't have to pay for you know health insurance and everything else. The owners of Lion Forge Oni are probably going to be fine in a year, but the, the people who work there, probably not. This just reeked of bullshit. Mm. Bob. Yeah, pi- pioneering just means let's hire people at the lowest wage we can pay. Mm-hmm. Let's not let's not write checks to the creators who actually have books in the in the pipeline. Let's let go of everyone we had before and we'll just publish licensed stuff from now on and we'll just make money and go home and the hell with these creators that we had to deal with before who might have had ideas or opinions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would have been too early to say, but it would have been huge for them to actually talk about what transpired and not just put out this blanket statement, maybe saying something to the effect of that. We're going to make sure that all of the creators get what's owed to them. Let's give everybody a golden parachute. Let's give everybody a soft landing at the end of the day and not have how many people did we see? And I don't, I don't, not on Twitter, but how many lion, only lion forge, whatever you want to call them, 
creators, editors, production people talking about, hey, I'm free. I need work yeah. on Twitter over the last week. It's crap. It was, it's all uh, crap. It, it was the erroneous press's fault. Hmm, that, that doesn't. Yeah, I've heard that weird. before. Alternative uh, facts. Aaron. Yes. So in my world work, if I was to hear or, or see something like that, see something so drastic, um, I would usually assume that they are the company is preparing themselves for acquisition. They're trying to trim the fat. They're trying to make themselves most attractive, blah, 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 blah. Then I would wait for a little bit more news to come out. And then when that news came out, similar to what they released – where it was all the wrong things, and we're just put, we're trying to position ourselves and make ourselves uh, more viable. That means they're seriously struggling, and by struggling, I mean the people at the top's pockets aren't as fat as they used to be, because um, it is only press, but it's it's so it's not huge, but still, um, that statement probably took someone about twenty minutes to do while they were eating their lunch. And they probably put together what absolutely the absolute minimum that needed to be said to address the press. Here's the thing about the press. That statement was not meant to convince anyone of anything. That statement was just to be a response. So that the one thing people remember is that they responded. And let that because we admit we are not all in this space anymore where people read the entire article the way we read it. They read the headlines. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. Mm -hmm. So that was that statement was not meant to inform anyone. That statement was not meant to, to you know, assuage anyone's concerns. It was just meant to be a response, and that's it. Um, and they checked that box, and now they're moving on. No, I don't think anyone, anyone engaged in that lost a minute of sleep that night. <laughs> That's unfortunate for all the reasons that Bob mentioned earlier. All the people who now are pounding the pavement, who are happily making a living, you know, doing what they loved, and are now pounding the pavement looking for work and somewhere to land in a shrinking environment. So, yeah, that's my thoughts. I'm looking at a bunch of the responses to this post and seeing all the all the different creators talking about it and, and saying what's already been lost and sticking up for friends, people rewriting the statement by underlining it and crossing things out. Yeah. It's not, um, it's not a good look. It's not something that inspired uh, confidence and their ability to uh, address this properly. And again, this was, this was put out super quick. Like this was a knee jerk. we like, Oh, we have to, we have to throw some some water on this fire before it gets too big so we can do what we got to do kind of thing. Um, I think a lot of what you said, Aaron, makes uh, a ton of sense as to the thought process that went into this. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the situation continues. We'll try to keep our eye on it. These stories tend to be everywhere for about a week, uh, if that, and then they kind of just fade into obscurity. Uh, there's still lots of stuff happening with other comic book companies. Uh, Action Lab is in particularly hot water still with a lot of their creators. Uh, that They're still trying to sort all that mess out. So I don't know if Oni Press is just joining the, the parade, but we'll see. 
Uh, I just hope that people get what they're owed or can can at least salvage some of their their projects. I saw a new Oni Press number one coming out this Wednesday, and I just went, man, I don't know what the fate is of this book. Does it even have a chance? We'll see. All right. Um, super quick. We got a couple of casting things happening over in uh, Marvel, and is the other one DC? Can't remember. No, nope. They're both Marvel. One is sorry. One is one is MCU Marvel, and the other is Sony Marvel. So there's a there's definitely a line drawn in the sand there. Uh, Raphael Cassell of Blind Spotting fame is has been seen on the set, has been photographed on the set of season two of Loki. So we see him walking around in a variant prisoner jumpsuit uh, with. Owen Wilson's Mo, uh, Mobius and of course Tom Hiddleston's Loki and Bobby. So there was kind of like a 70s aesthetic to the Definitely picture. They're in 70s tuxedos at one point. They're looking at they're some theater. You get Sylvie in a McDonald's outfit from the period for some reason. Oh, I think you, I think you saw more pictures than I did. Oh, yeah. I only saw one. Oh, you got you to check into this internet thing that's really big, I hear. So <laughs> <laughs> the interwebs. Internet? Haven't heard of it. Um, so let me ask you this. There are there's online speculation that uh, Raphael is going to be playing Zaniac. Does that ring any bells to you? Do you know who that character is and what they would be doing in a Loki show? Not off the no top idea. of my head. John, help us I out. No, I have I have no idea who that is. is okay. Zaniac. Zaniac. Okay. Here. Let, okay. Fine. Let me. I'll. Uh, said, okay. <laughs> here, I'm gonna bring up uh, my article if I can if I can find it um, to see it. There's a there's a description. Here we go. Scrolling down. Created by Doug Monk. I don't M O E N Munch Monk. Okay, Monk, uh, I got it right the first time. Keith Pollard, uh, Zaniac's first appearance was in Thor 319, 1982. According to Comic Vine. hmm? I remember this guy now. (laughs) All right, according to Comic Vine, and I had to rewrite this because it was was bad. um, Brad Wolf was a typical human, save for harboring misogynistic attitudes and views. (laughs) That's going to play well. (laughs) Such feelings had developed due to abuse he had received from his mother at an early age. Hating her, he irrationally projected those feelings toward all women. As an actor, one of the roles he starred in was as a serial killer in a slasher movie. He was the Zaniac. At some point in his life, Wolf was possessed by a mythical creature created by the dark being Dormammu centuries earlier. This creature would uh, simulate and amplify a type of bloodlust in its host and especially like to prey on misogynists. The English serial killer known by some as Jack the Ripper, who terrorized Whitechapel in the 1880s, uh, was the first of many inhabited by this creature. This is the last part. As an explosion, uh, after an explosion near a toxic area, Brad Wolf mutated into a hulking mass, and his psychotic mind made him believe that he was the Zaniac. Nope. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, he appeared in like three issues of Thor. <laughs> yeah, and then they killed him. 
Yeah. It looks like uh, a cross of Frankenstein and the Creeper. Yeah. <sighs> I got no right. response to that. Well, I don't even know what to say. There's nothing. To <laughs> I say. mean, I. I definitely I, I get how you can make that play uh, in in the now times. I'm saying you better have good writers. You better be real careful with that. And also, it's Disney Marvel. So how dark are we talking here? Because this is a this is a pretty horrid description for a character. I got nothing. I don't know, but Anyone? I hope Doug Monk yeah. and Keith Collar get their credit and their five thousand dollar checks. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, again, this is not confirmed that he's playing this character. This is just online speculation. But hey, sometimes it's fun to speculate. Uh, we got more casting news this time from Sony's Marvel side. Oh, that's always good news. Yes. <laughs> Um, this is actually this is good news for me at least because I really like Adam Scott. Who's Adam uh, Scott? Adam Scott. Adam Scott is from he plays Ben Wyatt from Parks, Parks and Rec, Rec uh, the series that uh, was airing on NBC. I want to say Amy Poehler series. Never brought us Chris Pratt. It's a I really really enjoy. Okay. Andy Dwyer is an amazing character. Chris Pratt sucks. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> Parks and Recreation is a good show. It's a and Adam, show. Adam Scott has also been in Party Down, which was great. Um, that was a lot of people from the state that participate in that. Martin Starr, mm-hmm. uh, Ken Marino, Jane Lynch. Um, what's her face? Um, the one that plays Cat. No, wait, no, Lizzie Kaplan. Yeah. Lizzie Kaplan. Um, anyway, Madam Web. We haven't even said the name of the movie yet. Adam Scott is joining the cast of Madam Web. You know that that hot Madam Web movie that everyone's talking about down at the schoolyard, uh, starring Dakota Fanning. No, not Dakota Fanning. Dakota Johnson. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> also on board is Euphoria's Sydney Sweeney, Celeste O'Connor, uh, Isabel Merst. Emma Roberts and Tamar Rahim, uh, director S.J. Clarkson. This is all over the place. <laughs> so we don't know if this is going to be old Madam Web or young Madam Web. They haven't said anything about anything other than that they're making it, they're casting it, they're oh, making it, they're right. shooting it. Nothing and, can uh, save yeah. this movie. Nothing can save this movie. We don't know. This is a disaster before it's even made, and we know it. Oh, that's what they said about Morbius. Look at how awesome, dude. Everybody wants it to be Morbin time. No. Nobody <laughs> wants it to be Morbin time. <laughs> Look, get Morbed or get left behind. Um, get Webbed or get I'll, left behind. I'll let that bus pass. S.J. Clarkson uh, was also a director on The Defenders, Jessica Jones. Uh, Life on Mars, Orange is the New Black, Anatomy of a Scandal, Collateral, Love Nina, lots of stuff. And he'll leave this one off his resume. Dexter. Uh, she, actually. S.J. Clarkson is a female, or as far as I know. Um, East Enders. I don't know. Anyway, they're making it. Madam Web, get pumped. What's the name? I'm excited. Bob, do you know what's the name when a director wants their name taken off a movie? Alan Smithy. 
Yeah. Can they just like Sony movies? Just, yeah, just all directed by Alan Smithy. <laughs> Alan Smithy right up front. <laughs> no faith. None, no because faith. they have n- nothing they, to give me any faith. They haven't earned it yet. Oh, John, you know you love those Venom movies. Oh, my God. No, his little boy loves your relationship little, with your child. His boy loves those Venom movies. He doesn't love those Venom, Venom 2 is the biggest train wreck I've seen, and I haven't seen Morbius yet. So, Oh, you should see Morbius when it's free. We can you need it for to see Morbius. You don't need to see it. You should have a bottle next to you. Oh. oh, John, I want you to watch Morbius. I will when it's like free on something I have for streaming. Yeah. No, you had to pay oh. to see it the way I did. Yeah, I'm not paying to see this movie. That's not the attitude. If it's like, I'll, if it gets down to like three dollars to rent it, I'll, I'll rent it. All right, I'm gonna set alerts on my <laughs> on my Twitter to send me deals on Morbius. It's John's Morbius Day. It's John's Morbius Day. <laughs> Prices come down. That's how you, dude. That's how you end the summer of John Morbius. Is you you the on the uh, last night you watch Morbius. Oh no, my With student's big like, co- why is he pissed off today? He watched yeah. Morbius last night. Oh no. How was your summer? God damn it. <laughs> Shut up back there. Yeah. yeah. I'll make you watch it next. <laughs> We're doing class today. How do you like that? You just roll in with the AV equipment. Everybody sit down and shut up. It's movie day. That's a 12 watch inch Morbius. screen. That's right. All right. San Diego Comic-Con. Is happening this weekend. There are going to be lots and lots of reveals, hopefully happening throughout the weekend. Uh, Warner Brothers is going to be there, which means that DC will have some kind of presence. Uh, obviously, they save a lot of their stuff for DC Fandom. I don't know. Did they announce that there would be a Fandom? I haven't heard anything. We're getting to the. Has that opportunity come and gone? No, maybe I think so. for this year. It's in the fall. I thought so. Yeah. All right, maybe. Yeah, okay. Um, Marvel Studios. So Marvel Studios, we are almost definitely going to see stuff for Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Uh, There are also rumors now that there is going to be a uh, a mutant introduced in Black Panther uh, 2. So my question to the group is, who do you think they're going to introduce? Anymore. Yeah, Prince Namor is Marvel's first mutant. <laughs> I did not know that. How did I not know that he was a mutant? That goes all the way back to the, the Charles Xavier trying to bring him into the X-Men. That's how far back it goes with Stan Jesus. and Jack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he keeps saying that. No. He even said no he recently. Had really cool years. <laughs> yeah. There is, there is a Wakandan mutant named Gentle who's on in X-Men Red right now. Um, but I, I think Bob's right. I think it's Namor. Do you think there's any chance that we see Storm? No. No? I think that's an X-Men thing? Not with Chadwick Boseman passing. Yeah, it it wouldn't make sense. You really can't set that up right now. All right. Man, I can't believe that I either didn't know or forgot that Namor was a mutant. That didn't even occur to me. I keep forgetting he's even in this movie. Um, We might get something for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. That's coming out later this year. In November, we haven't seen anything for that no, yet. Wakanda Forever's in November. Oh, what the hell? I think didn't they move the they reshuffled Ant Man to like next? Oh, November production, uh, wrapped production in November 2021. 
It's sorry, I I, I read ahead. It's like February, too far. isn't it? Right, it's, because the, the, everything got pushed off. So there, the February yeah. movie and the Marvels is now next summer. Well, then it goes Wakanda Forever in November, then Ant Man, mm-hmm. then Guardians, then the Marvels. Right. Yeah. Uh, they also mention Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. Uh, being possibly teased at the show. Uh, and the same goes for the Marvels. Um, I don't know how much we'll see of any of this stuff. Maybe we'll see some more stuff for She-Hulk. We're only a month away from that um, on Disney+. And Secret Invasion is still on the way, too. So you never know. They're probably saving a majority of their stuff for D three uh, D23 later in the year. I believe that's in September which is also when they're supposed to or rumored to be telling everybody the cast for Fantastic Four. There's been a lot of Fantastic Four fan castings going around on social media the last couple of days. Uh, Some really creative picks from a lot of people uh, across Twitter and stuff like that. So that's very cool. Uh, And Marvel is also hosting a animation panel. So it's possible that we'll see more for I Am Groot and Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur the Spider-Man uh, freshman year. Of course, I think X-Men 97 will be there. And what if season two and Marvel zombies Ooh. are also on the way? So I would not be surprised if we see more stuff for that. Uh, when it comes to Warner brothers, it looks like um, obviously Dwayne Johnson's black Adam. He's already said that he's going to be there. Shazam fury of the gods. We'll probably see some stuff for that. Um, the new Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, I guess we'll see how much or how little of Amber Heard there is in this upcoming movie. Uh, it'll finally be revealed whether all of her stuff was cut or just a portion of it was cut uh, after the Johnny Depp uh, Amber Heard trials going so poorly do for they, at least one of them. Um, and then, of course, the speaking of going uh, poorly, you know, yeah. Mm. Yeah, we'll talk about the Flash in a second. Um, and then there's also Batgirl and Blue yeah, Beetle Batgirl. that are that are coming out. And um, I keep forgetting that Batgirl is the same directors as Ms. Marvel, so that's mm-hmm. promising. Um, Blue Beetle, we've only seen the costume in like set photos, so we haven't gotten anything official yet for that. They'll probably reveal, I would imagine, the official look. Um, at Majuera as uh, that character. But yeah, the flash don't know what they're going to do with that one. That, mm, Mm. I don't know how you, I don't know how you market that. I don't know how you do premieres for that is, is, is Ezra Miller still on the run? I think so. They they are right. They are still on the run. I think they were still looking for them. Yeah. The Michael Keaton vehicle, the flash. <laughs> I mean, what honestly, I, I think at this point, I, I think any effort spent trying to sort of salvage and get people hyped behind it mm-hmm. will be wasted energy. I, and this is going to sound really crappy, but I think their only option right now is to lean into the dumpster fire effect and see how many people yeah. that brings to the theater. I I know how that sounds. I'm not even trying to be shitty about it, but I cannot see a way. You would have to be a master PR person to be able to spin <laughs> this in a way that 
gets people hyped without the lead character being involved and getting it all hyped. It's just, then you can't have supporting cast do the press junkets because the only questions anyone's going to ask is where's Ezra Miller. So at this point you just have to lean into the dumpster fire and just, you know, you're actually even say the flash, what a mess. Come see it with us, you know, and move on. You know, there's the priest can't catch him, but you can catch him. It's like showgirls. Come watch it. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, you just have to lean into if they want to make their money back. I I wish I was. I think they they can't put on HBO Max. Yeah, they can't make their money back. That's that. That's Uh, done. That ship has sailed. Where they just CGI Grant Gustin into put his face over everywhere (laughs) as Ramilla is. Oh boy! Hey, we'll let you out of contract with the CW if you do this for us, Grant. (laughs) Just loop this dialogue and we'll film your face. This movie's a mess. Oh, boy. We'll see. Um, Paramount's going to be there. Uh, They're apparently going to be showing some stuff for that new Dungeons & Dragons movie that's coming out. Uh, It's called Dungeons & Dragons Honor Among Thieves. That's got the old uh, Chris Pine, Sophia Lillis, Michelle Rodriguez, uh, Reggie Page, Reggie Reggie Jean Page, I guess, uh, Justice Smith. And Hugh Grant, of all people. <laughs> he plays the dice. Uh, <laughs> Teen Wolf the movie. Teen Wolf the movie did not did not start off well. There was some there was some controversy. They're based on uh, an MTV show. Yeah, yeah. There was they 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 really tr- they really tried to screw over one of their cast uh, members, one of their like their previous cast members, and they Colton, said no. And I wasn't it. What's that? Isn't it Colton Hayes who came out? I don't know anyone's okay. names. I don't think yeah. that's what it was. I think okay. it was a uh, it was a pay discrepancy. Okay. And um, basically, everyone it was a big story. Everybody got wind of it, and then a bunch of the other cast members also dropped oh, out yeah, out of solidarity and respect. Um, you've got that National Treasure TV series coming out, Edge of History. That's going to be there. Um, yeah, I don't know. San Diego Comic-Con is weird this year. Yes, there's no comics. Um, yeah, not not really. I mean, there's comic book movies. I'm sure there, there'll be plenty of stuff. Look, if you're going there this weekend, I hope that you enjoy yourself. Please be careful. There's a difference between walking around every day, going into a store here and there versus going to a con with a bunch of people that may or may not be sick and maybe don't even know that they are. So they could be asymptomatic walking around. So make sure that you protect yourselves, be smart, hydrate, uh, deodorate, do all the things that you got to do to respect your fellow people. You put deodorate on a T-shirt that could sell a con, Steve. Mm. I love in Monsters Inc. that they because they're monsters they call it odorant instead of deodorant because the object is to smell. Ooh, I love it. So make scratch and sniff T-shirts with deodorant. Never mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, John Waters. Oh, never yeah. Never mind. I thought I had a plan. Comic Con scratch and sniff. Oh my God! Could you imagine? Really like, hey, he scratched uh, the card. You can smell the empanada hours? cart. <laughs> Just what you sell on, what you smell like on Thursday versus what you smell like on Sunday. Exactly. Oh my God! What would be what would be the smells for a Comic Con scratch and sniff beyond that? What do you think? 
Oh, God. B.O., fast food, and... Lilac and lavender? <laughs> Sharpies. And old, old, Sharpies. And old, old musty comics. Sharpies is good. Um, like that, like that dusty book smell. Yeah. Yeah. For what the long boxes when you're when you're you're thumbing through them, that like plasticky papery smell wafts up. Axe Axe body spray. Uh, a little empanada and pit smell. Yeah, there you go. There's a combo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got a question coming from Brian. Thank you very much for writing in. What real life person, group, or event would you like to see a biographical com- comic written about? Uh, Brian's answer is Joe Strummer, who I was surprised hasn't had one yet. My answer uh, could have also been Frida Kolo, who I absolutely love, but word is there is one in the works currently. Who is Dro- Joe Strummer? Lead singer of The Clash, yeah, dude. I, mean- I dude. The only thing that matters. I do not listen to The Clash. <laughs> but. Okay. I don't. You should. I don't. I can't. I Look, I can't tell you. I can't even tell you who's in the Sex Pistols. Was it John, Johnny Rotten or something like that? Yeah, that's him. Sid Vicious. That's him. Sid Vicious, what? yeah. Is that him? Yeah, Sid Vicious died from the heroin. Look, I never, I never gelled with like classic punk that's cool it, it just is not my thing um man i feel like i've disappointed everybody yeah, who's in the runaways go ahead steve give me one answer uh i want a bjork comic okay i want a, a bjork graphic novel uh i want to say that there either is one or there was one uh at one point i think i remember lauren talking about it coming out or maybe us even doing a news story and then it either never materialized or something because i tried looking it up online i was like maybe this is a thing that exists uh or maybe it was a series of like zines or something i feel like somewhere somewhere someone made a bjork comic but what i would want is a bjork graphic novel of the history of her career from her doing work with the sugar cubes to trying acting with uh, dancer in the dark and her latest role in the Northman. Great movie, by the way. Uh, and just, I imagine the artistry of the outfits and the, the installations that she's built and, and all the stuff inspired by her music. I think it could be really wild. Uh, I would love to see, different artists for each chapter of, of her career, um, kind of like an anthology type of thing. You can get Russell Dowderman in there. You can get Caitlin Yarsky in there. Um, Stephanie Hans, maybe for some of the like homogenic stuff would be really cool. Um, Bjork is one of my absolute favorite musical artists ever. I, I think she's endlessly creative, definitely weird, uh, and one of the best live shows you will ever see in your life. So I would like a Bjork graphic novel, if you please. Uh, Aaron, do you have an answer for this? Yes, I'm going to recycle, actually. Um, I would love to <gasps> see a three-part story for Henrietta Lacks. The first being mm-hmm. the, the... Immortal Woman. Yep, the Immortal Woman, her life her like adulthood through her death, then the, you know, theft 
and then modern science today. Uh, probably with a little bit more oomph behind it, but you hear what I'm saying. I think it would be an interesting story. I like it. you have any uh, any artists in mind or writers? <laughs> N.K. Jefferson, <laughs> Jamal Campbell. <laughs> so, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, there you have it. I mean, there's a, I could, there's a, a gazillion different writers I could think would be great for that. So, yeah, I think it would be fun. I think I want Jamie McKelvey and Kieran Gillen to write the Bjork thing. The whole, the whole Wicked and Divine phonogram vibe. They know, they know their music. I think that they could knock it out of the park. It's going to be my team. Uh, Bob, do you have an answer? Uh, a couple, actually. I love the Hollywood things, having read Lon Chaney, Bill Lugosi, the Marx Brothers, no less. Love to see Ed Wood's story told. Print. We could go black and white and color in the various parts of his life. Um, reaching further back to something, a, a, a person everyone knows, but not a lot of people know this story. Audrey Hepburn, as a teenage girl, was trapped in occupied Holland when the Nazis took over. She was a spy for the Dutch underground. She ran messages back and forth and encountered oppression by the Nazis and all sorts of things, all while nearly starving to death. So I think that that everyone knows all the other parts, but that, that's a neat little in-between story that, that could be told. And on the music front, I'd like a book about Professor Lev Termin. And you're saying, who? Well, people know his, his, the Americanized version of his name is Leon Theremin. He's the fellow who invented the world's first electronic musical instrument, the theremin. Hmm. Ooh. As, yeah. as an American, uh, we, we don't think of these sort of things, but he came here from Russia in the 20s and came with this instrument he invented and played in front of symphony orchestras and presidents and kings and did all sorts of wonderful stuff. And as World War II began to come into play, he was really married to a, a ballerina from the Harlem Ballet Company, found himself uh, kidnapped back to Russia to work in gulags on science projects. He invented, for instance, the bug, the listening device everyone knows about you. He invented that while under, under threat of death from Stalin. What? Yeah. There's a movie by a fellow named Steve Martin, not that Steve Martin. It's called Theremin, an electronic odyssey that is worth seeing, but I'd love to see it in print. So many bits and pieces. And I'll, look, I'll spoil it. They found him 50 or so years later, that he actually was still alive. He survived all the prison camps and whatever. And tying into something I talked about before, in the, in the Ed Wood film, as opposed to Danny Elfman, the, the score is by Howard Shore. And there's a theremin on that score. It is played by Professor Theremin's grandniece, Lydia Kavina. So, so the next time you, you watch Ed Wood and listen to the score, that's Professor Theremin's grandniece. Who are you having me think Who was the artist who smuggled people out of Nazi? Oh, my God. Um, you have me thinking about it with – oh, um, Marcel Marcel. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that. Um, the mime – you did, made me think about that when you were talking about Audrey Hepburn and smuggling and, and, and all that stuff. That would be an interesting story to tell as well. 
Yeah, I think there was a movie about it. He, um, you know, through his work uh, as a entertainer, was smuggling out uh, Jewish kids out of Nazi Germany uh, and became a famous mime afterwards. Mime is money, to quote Billy Crystal from Spinal Tap. No guy that hit me. I have a follow-up to our Venom 2 conversation. <laughs> Believe it or not, I saw that it was trending on Twitter, and I was like, why? Uh, apparently, Sony Motion uh, Group President Sanford uh, Penich, I guess, uh, he's saying that Top Gun Maverick uh, owes its box office success to Venom 2 the quote is in a weird way i would say top gun maverick is benefiting from us taking our shot venom 2 is the start of that story <laughs> wow now, what drugs are he they on must how do be, I get them like who's putting something in the food over at sony that they all feel good and believe this crap amazing they fall for the the bring morbius back into theaters bit something's going on over there Desperation. Morbius. Anyway, the director's cut of Morbius. <laughs> John, do you uh, do you have an answer for the question? I did. I kind of went with the the band theme and not you know saving people from the Holocaust theme. Um, <laughs> I went with the <laughs> I went with the Go Go's. Uh, nice. My my daughter and I were jamming out to the Go Go's the other night. Uh, but I would do it in a two part form. I would do one like w- like maybe half the book. Looks like Josie and the Pussycats, really like Archie or something along those lines as how they were presented through MTV as this good girl band. And then the second half of the book, it's like sketchy vertigo. They're doing coke, shooting up heroin, banging dudes, drinking all night long, (laughs) which they really were. Because what they were presented at by MTV is nothing like what they really were. And I would just like to think the dichotomy of that book would be hysterical. Did you watch their documentary? I did. I did. That documentary was amazing. It. That documentary was amazing. Oh my god! You know what it's called? Oh god! Oh, it's it's just the, the Go Go's. Um, Hold on, I'm gonna look it up for you. I yeah, because they're the first. I think it really uh, is just the Go Go's though. I think yeah, it's so the Go Go's, and then they're the first all female band who wrote their own music to be inducted in the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So sometimes I don't think they get the credit where credit is due. That documentary was amazing, <laughs> awesome. though. It really, really was. Oh, it was. They were just, oh, yeah. my God. Uh, John, have you ever heard the band The Beaches, the one that I've been talking about from last week? I have not, but I, after you talking about it, I'm going to check it out. I'm assuming their music's online somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're everywhere. I'll um, I'll send you a link or two okay. to, to give you a taste. I think that um, if you enjoy listening to the Go Go's um, with your kid, you might you might find the Beaches as a, a, a good compliment band. It's got to be better than Aqua. <laughs> it is definitely better than Aqua. Oh, we had Barbie although Gr- I am upset that I did not see Aqua the other night. I heard that they were amazing. <laughs> so no, actually, I should I should rephrase. Not that they were amazing, that the moment that they did Barbie Girl, that the place just exploded. There were these like VIP tables. People were getting up on the tables and dancing on them and everything to that song. I hope they came out and were like, 
we're aqua and they just sing barbie girls and like all right good night everyone good night (laughs) (laughs) oh man full full full-blown performances my friend messaged me during ja rule saw him doing his thing they're like come on come on down you're only 20 minutes away come on it's like no no i'm done too many concerts Oh, God. My next show is on August 2nd. Oh, What's way, up, Aaron? It is just called the Go-Go's. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, you know what else is excellent? Wrapping up the podcast. Ooh. Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to we're gonna talk about the books that we're looking forward to this week. Bob, what will you be picking up at the store? She-Hulk number five. Spider Gwen Beyond the Gwenverse or Spider Verse Service Four, Rocketeer the Great Race Four, Defenders Beyond Number One. Ooh, Aaron, what are you getting? Or what do you what do you think you might get? So the pool again, because uh, I still have <laughs> stuff to read from before. I actually think I might uh, actually dig into all of the She Hulk stuff. I've been getting it, but I haven't um, had a chance to read it all. So I think I'm going to read it. Uh, one through five, or actually two through five. Um, then World's Finest, Miles Morales, Spider Man 40. Uh, I got a sign next to Judgment Day number one, Knights of X, Dark Crisis, Young Justice 2. Um, I got a two or three stars next to Sing Chi and the Ten Rings. I don't know. Number one, I don't know. I don't know. I just don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Justice League versus Legion of Superheroes, Defenders Beyond, number one, Blood Syndicate 3, Duo 3, and uh, like I said before, She-Hulk. So that's about it. How about you, John? Uh, I got World's Finest 5, Batman the Night 7, Catwoman 45, uh, Dark Crisis, Young Justice 2, uh, DC versus Vampires, All Out War, number one, Justice League versus Legion of Superheroes 4, Nightwing 94, uh, Superman, Son of Cal, number 13, Do a Powerbomb 2, uh, Axe nice. Judgment Day, number 1, Avengers 58, Knights of X4, Miles Morales, Spider-Man 40, and then Shang-Chi, I will give it a go. All right. Um, I've got Batman, Superman, World's Finest, number 5, Batman, The Night, number 7, Catwoman, 45, DC vs. Vampires, All Out War, number 1. Uh, did anybody say Duo, number 3? Yep. Aaron did. Okay. Uh, Jurassic League number three, Nightwing number 94, uh, Defenders Beyond number one. I checked that out. She Hulk number five, Bloodstained Teeth number four. Of course, Do a Power Bomb number two. Really looking forward to that one. And Grim number three. Those are all the books. Well, those are not all the books. Those are all the books that I'm looking for. <laughs> and that's going to do it for this show. I, uh, this is the part where we make closing statements. I'm going to close my statement by saying that I'm sorry for the lack of energy this week on my behalf. I'm in a lot of pain and I'm really tired. I'm on some painkillers and I'm just, uh. um, but next week, next week is going to be a big week because we plan to have some special guests. It could end up being a very full house for next week's talking comics episode definitely look forward to that do not miss it Uh, i have a feeling it's going to be very fun 
and extraordinarily chaotic because I think that there are surprises being planned on both sides. So we'll see what happens. Uh, does anybody else have anything that they want to share? Really quickly, I want to say that I had a really great time during the weekend uh, having a box lunch. Okay. <laughs> I no. I had, a, I, had, I had a friend point me point me toward a website and a store. It's a brick and mortar store called Box Lunch, and they're a cross between well, Hot Topic and the Disney Store. And online, they have like thirty times what they have in the store. It's a lot of Marvel licensed stuff. And for every $10 you spend, they donate money to uh, food kitchens around the country. I thought hence, you could hence, that 40 seconds. Hence, hence, hence the name. So I picked up a really cool T-shirt. I've got a lot of stuff I'll be ordering on their website. But if you're fans of nerd shirts and stuff, whatever, and as I pointed out an email to Steve, you walk into their store in the Smith Haven Mall, they have Lore Olympus merch. <gasps> on the shelf. Amazing. On the shelf. Amazing. So for all the fun we can have with their name, they have a great mission statement and great stuff to sell to you. That is very cool. That reminds me a little bit of, um, what was that company? Milk Fed? Yeah. From way back? Yeah, it's a, it, it, there's some of that going on here. They, if you go to their website, basically every Marvel character has their own little page of weird stuff, whether it's shirts and tees. You can buy, for instance, Avengers Con New Jersey shirts. <laughs> that's fun that's cool um oh that reminds me yeah um so we'll be talking about ms marvel uh the disney plus series obviously when joey comes back to the show we plan to hopefully record that this week so uh pay attention to the feeds later this week uh we might drop an extra episode for you uh possibly on i'm gonna say friday maybe even before that i don't know we'll see how much work i can get done but um yeah so be on the lookout for that and i think that's gonna do it other than just reiterating if you're going to san diego comic-con have yourself a great time be safe enjoy and um you know if you want you could tell us all about it by writing to us at podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com or tweeting us at Talking Comics. Bob, where can our listeners find Old you? Old-fashioned email, Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Aaron? At Aaron J. Amos. John? At John P. Burkle. See? Said your name differently this time. Thank you. Uh, Joey Bricino is at Joey Bricino online. I am at dead underscore anchorus. So for Bob. Now I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. Yes. For Aaron. Okay. I guess bye is all I got. I don't know. I, I froze. <laughs> nothing. I got nothing. I, I, I froze up. You always make me wait for it. There's always this like pregnant pause after I say your name. John knows whereof I speak, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to sit up. He's got to unmute. He's got to clear his throat. Got to do the whole thing. Uh, John, say goodbye to the people. Goodbye, people. Thank you so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics podcast, to be continued. <laughs>